welcome to an encouraging message from Pastor Kenneth Bent, an associate pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. So let's go to the word of God. I want to pray first and ask the Lord's blessing on his word. And Father, we just approach your throne and ask you for your grace and your mercy. We pray that you'll, you'll bring healing and your great, the touch of your spirit, Lord, upon each of us and our families, those that have needs that are here tonight and those that we're praying for tonight that are uh, having some tough times, Lord, whether in sickness or some other difficulty of life, we pray that your spirit, Lord, will be with them and your anointing and grace will be upon them and you'll set them free and bless them and heal those that need healing. I pray, comfort those who need comfort, Lord, and let your spirit be upon all of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord is good. I'm praying you get something out of tonight. Amen. So uh, I want us to turn to uh, 1 John 3.18, and it's going to come up on the, uh, I say turn, that's if you actually have a physical Bible. Um, but uh, I suppose you could, you know, choose John 3.18, First <laughs> John 3.18. So anyway, it says in the NIV, it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What a great word, amen? Real faith, real love is about action. And uh, James 2.14 says it this way, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In other words, real faith is active. It is active faith. You do something. If you claim that you believe in Jesus, belief is an active verb, all right? And especially in the Gospel of John, Every occurrence of the word believe is a verb. It's a verb. There are no nouns used for faith in the Gospel of John. Every occurrence is believing. It is an active faith that we have. When we believe in something, it requires action. Faith is action. Amen. So when we look at John chapter 3, and verse 16, I'm just going to just go there, and we don't have that up on the screen. But John 3, 16 is something I've been meditating on, really, I suppose, since Pastor Ron started reading the book of John at noon on Mondays, and we'll resume that not this coming Monday, but the Monday afterwards. Um, at noon, if you got time, please come for that. It's great fellowship and just simple reading the word and just kind of... Uh, Everybody kind of discusses it a little bit, and it's a great time. But John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I've been meditating on that. And, of course, it uh, is a powerful thing for Jesus to say that. In other words, God's so loved, his love created action. That action was him coming to earth or sending his son to earth, Jesus, who came and died for our sins. And that if we believe on him, that is, we have active trusting faith in Jesus, then we are saved, we have eternal life. 
The interesting thing about God's manifestation of his son on the earth is how much activity the Lord did when he was with us. So when we look at, for example, at John chapter 4, we see him, actually going back to John chapter 2, it, we see him uh, uh, bringing water into wine at the wedding. There's activity going on. The Son of God is being made manifest, right? And in John chapter 3, he, he reaches to Nicodemus, an unbelieving uh, or almost believing Pharisee. At some point later, we, we believe that he did become a true believer in Christ. He certainly helped uh, uh, at, um, at the, the death of Christ. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus meeting with the woman at Samaria, and the woman of Samaria responded to the message of the Lord and ran and told her whole village, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did, right? And they all come out to hear the message of Christ, and the whole village in Samaria believes on Jesus. So Jesus is acting, and then people who believe in Jesus are also doing the work and performing and bringing the message to others. In John 5, Jesus heals the man at the pool of Siloam. In uh, John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. In John chapter 7, Jesus appears and says, I am the living water, right? In the middle of the Feast of Tabernacles at the outpouring of the water, he promises the Holy Spirit will be poured out and anybody who believes in him would have rivers of living water coming out of his innermost being. In John chapter 8, we see the woman taken in adultery. We see Jesus manifest God so loving the world that he comes not only to heal the sick and to feed uh, the hungry, but he also comes to forgive people who are being accused, right? And also to challenge those who are accusing uh, the woman that was taken in adultery. And he forgives her and he sets her on a new life and says, go and, and sin no more. What a beautiful story. And uh, in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man who was blind from birth. In John 10, he, he tells wandering, weary people that he's the good shepherd and that if you're his sheep, you will follow him and he will lead you. And of course, it's a reflection of Psalm 23 where he leads us into green pastures and restores our soul. He declares to, to Lazarus in John 11 that he is the resurrection and the life. It's a beautiful story. What a beautiful thing the Lord has done for us. Amen? Action, they say, speaks louder than words, right? And Jesus was active. If you want to say Jesus as a man was active in his faith, then I think that's probably a proper statement. If we think of Jesus being both God and man, the 100% man, 100% God, but as a man... The Bible says, you know, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So Jesus himself is an action figure, amen? And so faith is a verb of action. So tonight I want to talk to you about a tale of two kings, a tale of two kings. But first we're going to look at faith some more. Note the works that accompany true faith in Hebrews 11. We're just kind of kind of zoom through Hebrews 11 almost the same way we zoom through the Gospel of John. In Hebrews 11, 4, by faith Abel brought God a better offering. In Hebrews 11:7, 7, by faith Noah built an ark. 
in Hebrews 11.8, by faith Abraham obeyed and went. By faith, it says in uh, Hebrews 11.23, Moses' parents hid him for three months. 11.27, by faith Moses left Egypt. By faith he kept the Passover, verse 28. So the word believe and faith, as I said, is used only in verb form in the Gospel of John, about 101 times. And in some ways, perhaps it's better to say, to use the words trusting in Jesus or entrusting yourself to Jesus as another way to say have faith in Jesus, trust in him. It's an active, it's an active verb. True faith that results in action brings Jesus to save us. Amen. And again, John 3.16, God sent his son, his one and only son, and uh, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting eternal life. I like what Adrian Rogers said. I read this today. Faith in faith is just positive thinking, but faith in Jesus is salvation. That's pretty cool. And uh, so the thing is, like, <clears throat> when we read this in the traditional translations, God so loved the world, very often we think that this is speaking in terms of a superlative. In other words, God's love was so great, right? But actually, the word utos in, uh, in Greek in John 3.16 means in this manner. And it's not translated in the superlative in anywhere in the Gospel of John. In this manner, God so loved the world that he gave his unique son to die for us that we might believe in him. So what do we mean in this manner? We mean that God so, so loved that in this manner he gave his son to us, right? And Romans, Paul said, if the, if the Lord gave up his son for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things, right? So the Lord is working, and uh, that giving process is an ongoing thing, as we saw, where Jesus is an action figure, amen. And so it's very important. And the, the, the statement is, 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 should go like this. <clears throat> God so loved this wicked world, Right? It isn't that the world is so large, but the world is wicked. The fact that God loved this wicked world is stunning, right? Think that God loved you and I, right? He loved you and I, and you and I know how bad we really were and are, right? But in Jesus, we've been given new life and new faith, amen. And so we are transformed and renewed and we become new creations in Christ Jesus. Well, so with the idea of that we're going to look at um, a comparison of two kings, we're gonna compare faith and action of a father and a son, right? So, and we're gonna go to the Old Testament. Some of you know I like Old Testament stuff. And so we're going to compare the actions of a father and a son. Both of them were kings in Israel, all right? And we're going to look at the lives of Ahaz and Hezekiah. 
So it's really a tale of two kings and one prophet, Isaiah. In the Old Testament, this story is played out in the books of 2 Chronicles, which is the last book in the Hebrew Bible, 2 Kings and Isaiah. So first we're going to look at Ahaz. So Ahaz had basically, basically good fathers, all right? His grandfather Uzziah, his father Jotham, his fathers were generally good, but high places of worship to false gods remained in their lifetime. So these kings ascended to the throne. They were descended uh, and, uh, from the line of the kings, and they took their place. And uh, they were generally good, but they still allowed the worship of idols, the worship of false gods in the land. So Ahaz himself became a an idol worshiper. In 2 Chronicles 28, 1-4, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, David being his past distant progenitor. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and also made idols for worshiping the Baals, or the Baal. These are the false gods. Uh, he, he burned sacrifices in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and sacrificed his children in the fire. This guy was a, an idol worshiper. He was a child killer in order to worship these false gods. And he engaged in the detestable practices of the nations that the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifices and burned incense at the high places on the hilltops and under every spreading tree. So this guy had basically good fathers, except they were still idol worshipers, but somehow the idol worshiping part was passed on to him, and he became a serious idol worshiper. And Ahaz got in trouble from surrounding nations. So he got in trouble. The surrounding nations were in league uh, together with the Neo-Assyrian Empire under Tiglath-Pileser. He's also called Pul in 2 Kings. And they were invading and trying to control trade routes. So you've got this, uh, this Assyrian kingdom that's building up, and northern Israel is aligning themselves against this Assyrian invasion as they're trying to take over Israel. And they, this is uh, King Rezin and King Pekah, the new king of Israel. At this time, Israel's divided into two, right? The northern kingdom, consisting of ten tribes. The southern kingdom, Judah, consisting of two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And in the north, we have a king, Pekah, who's the new king who took over and we have Rezin of Syria. And these two guys up here from the north are really mad at the Assyrians for trying to come down and steal all the trade routes and take over the area, right? And so they said, hey, you know, Ahaz, you need to align with us. You, we need to align together and fight against, fight off this, this invasion by the Assyrians. 
Ahaz doesn't want anything to do with it. And, uh, and in some ways, that's to his credit. And Isaiah 7, 6 tells us that they actually, that the two guys from, uh, from the north, the king of Syria and King Pekah of, of Israel, they actually plotted to try to kill Ahaz so that they could stick another king in there who would support their endeavors against the Assyrians. But, thankfully, in some aspects, Ahaz uh, was spared. But Rezin and Pekah invaded Judah, and what happened was the Philistines came from the west and the Edomites came from the south and took advantage of all this disruption. Why was this happening? Was it just because these guys were bad guys and they just wanted to, you know, take over the area and prevent Assyria from coming down? No. God was allowing it to happen because Ahaz was not serving the Lord. And so judgment came, and as a result, he raised up these guys to come against Ahaz as well as stirred up the other nations around it. The thing is, compromise in faith always invites the enemy to come all right so if we're not acting in faith standing in faith walking in faith what happens it opens the door for the devil's attack amen so we have got to stand strong in the lord and the power of his might and resist the devil the devil's attacks right and stand against it ahaz did not do that In uh, 2 Chronicles 28, it says, The Lord humiliated Judah because of King Ahaz of Israel. For he encouraged Judah to sin and was very unfaithful to the Lord. So then Ahaz, he gets the brainy idea that, you know, instead of repenting, right? All this stuff is happening. The, the, The guys in the north are allied and, and they're coming down with the Syrians, but not stopping the Assyrians from coming, right? So Ahaz is in big trouble. Does he turn to God as a result? No, he does not. He thinks that he can make an agreement with the Assyrians, and he he gathers up all this gold, and he sends it to the king of Assyria. And says, would you come down and help me against these guys? They're trying to take over. So the king of Assyria, he comes and he kind of shucks away these guys that are attacking Ahaz. But Ahaz doesn't realize that his compromise has allowed the king of Assyria an excuse to come down and take over everything. And the king of Assyria eventually comes down and wipes out everything and takes over And so for about 30 years, the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin are vassal state to the king of Assyria, who is horribly cruel. Horribly cruel. So he came, but the scripture says in verse 20 of 2 Chronicles 28, that the king of Assyria gave Ahaz more trouble than support. And during this time of trouble, it says, King Ahaz was even more unfaithful 
to the Lord. And so he figures, well, you know, the gods of Damascus in Syria, they seem to support, you know, them in certain military campaigns, so I know what I'll do. Does he turn to the Lord? Does he turn to Yahweh to worship him? Does he forsake the idols, the Baals? No. He turns to worship more false gods, and he starts cutting up the stuff that's in the temple of the Lord in order to form a new altar area outside of the temple area so that they can worship the gods of the Syrians. What an idol worshiper. It's unbelievable, this guy. And so he goes and he starts worshiping the idols, thinking that maybe that God will deliver us, instead of turning to Yahweh and seeking the Lord's face and repenting. And so he gathers all these items, and then, if you've ever been to Asia or you know, like Thailand or some places like that, you've seen idols on every street corner. That's exactly what Ahaz does. He takes and makes idols and puts them on every street corner in Jerusalem and basically steals, attempts to steal the heart of the Israelites so that they'll worship these other gods. And the Bible says Ahaz angered the Lord God of his ancestors. Isaiah offered advice to Ahaz, Isaiah the great prophet, and here's what he said to Ahaz, trust in the Lord. <laughs> God bless Isaiah, what a bold guy, you know? And the thing is, Ahaz did not ask for the prophet's advice. You know, when you get in trouble, it's a good thing to go to a man or woman of God and ask them for prayer and advice and counsel. But Ahaz did not do that. Isaiah had to go to him. Isaiah came and told him, listen, Ahaz, I know that we got some trouble in the land. There's trouble in River City, all right? And he says, trust in the Lord. And then he says, don't join the coalition against the Assyrians. Don't join with the the." two kings of the north who were trying to fight off the Assyrians. It won't work. And then he says, don't join the Assyrians. You'll end up being a vassal state to them. So he's giving him some good advice. And then, you know, God is so gracious, right? He sends his son to a wicked world. God sends his prophet Isaiah to a wicked king and a wicked people. And he says to him, Isaiah says, the Lord says, you can ask for a miraculous sign. Ask for anything. And the Lord will do it to show you that if you will put your trust in him, he'll deliver you from all your enemies. He will set you free if you just trust in him. Ahaz says, not so much. He is totally, 
what, what would you do if some amazing prophet of God came to you and said, you can ask any kind of miraculous sign you want. The Lord wants to show you how powerful he can be in your life. What would you do? Hopefully you wouldn't go, yawn. Hopefully, in some ways, Jesus is the new Isaiah, right? If you will ask anything in my name, ask the Father in my name, I will give it to you. He invites us to come, right? But Ahaz gives this passive response. He exhibits passive faith. And that's where I'm going with this. Faith is supposed to be active, but Ahaz has passive faith. So he basically tells him in Isaiah 7 and 8, he says, he tells, he explains what's going on to him, and he says, listen, within 65 years, Ephraim's not even going to be around as a nation. But one thing, this great statement in verse 9, if your faith does not remain firm, then you will not remain secure. I want to repeat that. If your faith does not remain firm, then you will not remain secure. So he's challenging Ahaz to turn from his sinful ways, turn from the worship of false gods, to come again and humble himself before the feet of Yahweh. And Yahweh says, I'll give you anything. I'll give you any sign. But Ahaz has passive, passive response. It's bad. The Hebrew wordplay here is stunning. And basically, I love what one commentator says. It means, it, it, this phrase has a play on words, right? And in English, you could translate it, trust or bust. Ahaz, trust or bust. What will you choose? What would we choose? Trust or bust. The Lord spoke again to Ahaz, ask for a confirming sign from the Lord your God. You can even ask for something miraculous. But Ahaz responded, I don't want to ask. I don't even want to put the Lord to the test. He sounds so biased. Right? He sounds so pious. I, I don't want to test the Lord. No, you don't even want to serve the Lord, dude. Come on. So then Isaiah 7 talks about the promise of Emmanuel. Ahaz goes ahead and looks to Assyria for help. He sets up altars to the gods of Syria and Jerusalem. His passive faith was no faith at all. He didn't even look to the Lord. He was essentially appearing to be religious and tolerated the presence of Isaiah the prophet, but he never sought the Lord. God forbid that we should get in such a bad place that we don't seek the Lord. Amen? So then... Let's look at Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, for just a minute. So Hezekiah is just one of those great kings that comes along every once in a while. He wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. But he did right in the sight of the Lord. 
He destroyed the high places where they worshiped the false gods. He faced potential destruction from Assyria, just like Ahaz. But with Isaiah, he sought out Isaiah. Isaiah goes to him, and they seek the Lord for deliverance, and he meets him in the same place as he met, met, met Ahaz. That should be Ahaz, not Ahab. And God hears Hezekiah's prayer, and he turns Sennacherib and his armies back, and Sennacherib is killed by his own sons in Nineveh. What a tragic end to that king's life, his own sons. Ahaz had passive so-called faith. He looked to kings and idols and appeared outwardly pious. Isaiah had to seek out and go to Ahab to try to, I'm sorry, Isaiah had to seek out and go to Ahab to try to help him seek and hear from God. But Ahaz refused to seek the Lord for a sign. But Hezekiah had active real faith. He looked to the Lord and his prophets. He calls on Isaiah and turns to the temple of the Lord and prays. So the question is, what kind of faith do we have? Do we have a passive faith? Uh, just a faith that appears like we're doing something, you know. Are we just worshiping false gods or do we have an active, true faith and trust in the Lord? That's a great question for us all. Amen? Remember, Jesus loves you. Amen? He's not going to leave you nor forsake you as you seek his face. He will come to you. He will surely come. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for that powerful word from Pastor Kenneth Bent. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive many more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.